exciting news for Donald Trump is music to my ears. And we got some music playing for you folks. Ooh. A New York State Court judge has granted a preliminary injunction requested by the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, against Donald Trump and the Trump Organization requiring an independent financial monitor be hired to review all of Trump's financial representations on Ooh. a going forward basis. That's a for Donald Trump. <laughs> Trump is spiraling even more out of control as he filed a frivolous and truly incoherent lawsuit against the New York Attorney General Letitia James in Florida State Court, which looks like the rantings and ravings of a madman. Desperate, desperate, Donnie. The DOJ, meanwhile, grants Cash Patel something called use immunity to compel him to testify against Donald Trump in the criminal investigation relating to Trump's theft of thousands of government records, including documents that are among the highest level of top secret classified documents in this country. Trump calls for Mitch McConnell's impeachment. You know, just another day. Just Ca- calls for casual, casual. impeachment. <laughs> the media doesn't care. We'll talk about it here on the Midas Touch podcast. And early vote numbers are strong for Democrats, like very strong. Let's and go. if Democrats keep turning out, that's the we key. will win. And our guest tonight, the House Majority Whip, a legend, Congressman Jim Clyburn, Ooh, joins us go. on the Midas Touch Who podcast. Is these guests? Oh my gosh. George, Pretty. look at these guests. Pretty Brett. unbelievable. Yes, Brothers. Ben. Ben, I feel like so much news just dropped right before we went live with the pod. So I know this podcast is basically going to be me and Jordy going, Ben, what does this mean? Ben, what does that mean? (laughs) And I'm totally okay with that because our audience is about to get some truth bombs because, oh boy, what a list of things that you just read. But I'm so excited for the show. We had such an incredible conversation with the House Majority Whip. I'm so excited for everybody here to listen. Jordy, incredible job on that booking, getting a legend House Majority Whip, Jim. Jim Clyburn on the show. I mean, it's pretty, pretty, absolutely incredible. Such an honor to speak with him. Such an honor to have him. And I'm feeling good. I'm feeling excited seeing all the numbers coming out. I I hope everybody had the opportunity to check out our recent interview with Simon Rosenberg, the Democratic strategist, who is going over all the target early numbers. We've been speaking about all of his data on the show, and we're going to dig into that data, not poll data, but actual data of physical people showing up at the polls and voting for Democrats. It's all looking very promising. Promising, but like Ben said, we got to keep it up every single day. We need to be working hard right now. There's only a few days left to save our democracy. So let's do it. Do this. we post on YouTube yet the video with our, our interview on the data? Because people could go and check that out if we posted it. Yes, because it's, we posted great, it actually like about call. it's about one hour ago. We posted it on our YouTube channel. So head on over to our YouTube after, channel after, after the show. Watch the show. Watch the show and then check that out. Thanks and for then, clarifying, brothers. And then check that out for, for sure, for sure. Okay, so New York State Judge Arthur Engeron grants this preliminary injunction. Let me read you the sexiest parts of his ruling. Because <laughs> I, I, I placed these sexy parts in these. I should have, okay. if you if you prepared me, I would have played some sexy music, you know. But now I got nothing. This is what Engeron says in his order. Uh, there was oral argument today, and like Engeron, who by the way 
uh, this judge from New York who Trump was threatening last week. He called him a communist and said all these other Sexy things about Angeron. Angeron was toying with his lawyers at court today. He's like, huh, maybe I should appoint Judge Raymond Deary as the independent monitor, who's the special master who doesn't like Trump. And I guess that's an inside law <laughs> joke by me. He made a Raymond Deary joke in court. <laughs> he made a he made a Raymond Deary joke about the special master who got appointed in the such an F you to Trump. It's, it's such, such an F you. Oh but here's God. what he said. This is what he goes. In his order, he goes, in the absence of an injunction and given Trump's demonstrated propensity to engage in oh, persistent yeah. fraud, oh, failure yeah. to grant such an injunction could result in extreme prejudice to the people of New York. How about that statement in uh, in order? Ready? How about this too? Furthermore, given the persistent misrepresentations throughout every one of Mr. Trump's statement of financial conditions between 2011 to 2021, this court finds that the appointment of an independent monitor is the most prudent and narrowly tailored mechanism to ensure there is no fraud or illegality. And what you had, folks, is New York Attorney General Letitia James putting forward all of these affidavits with very specific facts showing an appraiser appraised the property at, let's say, this was one example of some apartments that Trump claims he owns, $750,000. What did Trump put in his statement of financial condition? Anybody want to guess? Appraiser, $750,000. What did Trump say? $50 million Come he said, on. for these $750,000. Close. Close. Yeah, right. Um, and and regarding all the other properties, you know, basically the same thing for uh, for Trump's triplex in New York in Trump Tower, the most expensive real estate of, in all of New York at that time was somewhere in the range of like one hundred million dollars for an apartment. What did Trump appraise his triplex for? Well, first, he claimed that an eleven thousand square foot triplex was actually. 33,000 square feet, which was just completely false. But then he said it was somewhere in the range of $350 million, which was like $270 million more than one, like what it should actually be appraised at, but also like $200, $300 million more than like the highest appraised apartment in all of New York at that time. And so what the judge said is, look, New York Attorney General Tish James showed he engaged in this fraud showed that he's engaged in ongoing fraud, and Donald Trump was asked questions in a special proceeding under oath, and the judge quoted the questions he was asked. Well, Donald Trump, you put in your in your uh, financial condition documents, your statement of financial conditions, this valuation. Was that accurate? What did Trump respond, Brett and Jordy? I believe the fifth. I believe the fifth. He pled the fifth. He did not offer, and the judge says this in the order, literally a quote, not a single iota of evidence to rebut the showing by the New York Attorney General 
that there was a probability of success on the merits that she would prevail in the lawsuit that he was engaged in this massive fraud from 2010, 2011 to the president. And by the way, it obviously dates back longer. That's as yeah. long as you can go actually file for. And I'm so the judge made the finding, granted the preliminary folks, injunction. And folks, home, it's more this is a devastating order for Trump. I said this was going to happen, but for Donald Trump, appointing an independent monitor who will be literally placed in the Trump organization, appointed by the judge, who is now empowered to ask Trump and get all of his financials, any financial representation made to third parties, any financial representation made to lenders, all of Trump's financial dealings, all of his statements of financial condition. This independent monitor gets to look at it, and if there's anything off, runs right to court for emergency applications and to call it out. Like Trump would rather pay hundred million dollars, then then have this because he can't engage. He can't in hide. hide now. He, his back's against the wall. There's literally nothing he could do. So, I, ironically, Ben, is this kind of like a special master in in a in a certain way? It sounds like a little similar at the process, which is ironic. It is to the me. ultimate irony, Brett, that <laughs> Trump sought this independent third party thing in the Southern District of Florida proceedings before Eileen Cannon, and she intervened, asserted equitable jurisdiction. By the way, all these other federal judges, if you notice, when all these other Trump lackeys like Lindell and others filed these things trying to invoke equitable jurisdiction, all these federal judges have put like footnotes, like basically just completely shading Judge Eileen Cannon. Like it is beyond the most basic fundamental concept of law. The footnotes are the best part. Yeah, when you read the filings, because we'll, we'll post the filings when we post the Ben videos of the breakdowns. When you read the filings, don't just read. I know sometimes when you get a book and you see that there are like little footnotes on the bottom of the book, you'd look at it, not important. I'll just skip to the next page. Read the footnotes because they are incredibly, incredibly revealing. Yeah, those days. The footnotes are where the judges throw shade. So they'll be like, whereas pursuant <laughs> to da, 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 footnote two, basically like F this guy. <laughs> you know, like that's what they do. But anyway. The special master is appointed in by Judge Eileen Cannon to oversee executive privilege claims. Like that's not where special masters, but that should be appointed. But the same concept of an independent person yeah. looking over things. But here, an independent monitor to be appointed where there is this financial impropriety is actually where you do it. A step further that that New York Attorney General could have gone is asked for a receivership. But that's the next step. A receiver actually takes over the business when it's being conducted for a fraudulent purpose. <laughs> Can you imagine his reaction to that? I but mean, that's yeah. one of the things that Trump and his I lawyers kept on arguing in court. They kept on <laughs> saying that this was a receiver. And the judge says, no, 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 this isn't a receiver yet. This is an independent monitor. But such a good ruling. Brett, you had finger up. A finger, finger up. This is what you got to do to get attention here. I wanted to bring up the fact that, well, just a week ago or about six days ago, Donald Trump actually took it upon himself to attack this judge. <laughs> he went right after Justice Engeron, um, this judge who signed off on the preliminary in the preliminary injunction. And what did he say here? I'm trying to read it. The only person who may be worse than weak on violent crime, A.G. Letitia Peekaboo James. What a 
Oh, this guy. Is the judge we have on her ridiculous and highly partisan case against me and his family. His name is Arthur Engron, and he is a vicious, biased, and mean rubber stamp for the communist takeover of the great and prosperous American company that I have built over a long period of years. He was appointed by my worst enemies. Case was to go to a new judge, but he demands to keep it. I have no jury or civil rights. I think it goes without saying probably not the best idea to attack the judge who is making rulings on you generally. So, of course, how did Donald Trump then react to this ruling by Justice Engeron? He must have taken it in stride, right? Yes, Your Honor. I understand, Your Honor, right? Is that, is that what he said? Yeah, you, you would think that would be consistent with all of the other conduct that he had. Very <laughs> diplomatic. But no, his deranged statement was, a puppet judge of the New York Attorney General and other sworn enemies of President Trump and the Republican Party has just issued a ruling never before seen anywhere in America. It is communism come to our shores. Businesses will be fleeing New York, which they already are, for other states and other countries. Today's ridiculous ruling by a politically motivated handpicked judge makes it even more vital for courts in both New York and Florida to do the right thing and stop this inquisition. We have to fight back against radical tyranny and save our country. I mean, what a complete, utter baby. By the way, receiverships happen literally all the time when there are criminal corporations engaged in criminal conduct where a receiver uh, comes in. By the way, the Trump Organization is on criminal trial nearby in uh, Manhattan State Court uh, before another judge. It got delayed because Trump's uh, controller got COVID and started like coughing all over the judge. Like, <laughs> I, I read that story. I was like, uh, I was like, Oh my gosh. I mean, it said like he was coughing, uh, like a uh, hocking up a lung, like all yeah. during the morning. And then he, and test, he tested at lunch and then they fa found out yeah. that he had it. Oh, Really, yeah. But in addition to Trump losing, losing there, Trump is spiraling ever more. And he filed this lawsuit against Letitia James, the New York attorney general in Florida, in state court, Florida. I genuinely don't know what he is actually saying in this lawsuit. I did a decent job <laughs> trying to break it down because it appears what he's actually asking for is he doesn't want to turn over in the New York case documents relating to his revocable trust and doesn't want to have any intervention by the New York attorney uh, general. But you have to get down to paragraph 119 and literally listen to these, like, like read these ranting and ravings of a lunatic where he's like, and everybody knows that Donald Trump is the greatest businessman ever and that Donald Trump knows everything about business and Donald Trump is the greatest. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell are you even alleging? And, and Letitia James is a communist agent of the deep state and Antifa, and she needs to be taught a lesson by this. Girl. I'm like, yo, what in the world is even the allegation like? What what are we what are you alleging? What, what is saying. your basis to sue a New York attorney general who is pursuing a civil lawsuit under a New York executive law? I mean, but he operates like a five year old. So it's like and no offense to five year olds, but it's oh, you're suing me. I'll sue you. <laughs> like that's that's isn't this also kind of part, part of the Trump right? system? Ben, isn't this also part of this ongoing Trump system of just flooding the court with BS uh, court cases that yeah. they have to hear? Well, he knew he was going to lose the preliminary injunction hearing today. And so what he needs to do to grift off of his followers, knowing that he was going to have that bad news. Right. And he knew he was going to lose because he pled the fifth. 
because he's a complete freaking coward and a criminal. So he knew he was going to lose. But now he tells his followers who he grips on, I filed this lawsuit in Florida. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. if he loses, he just says, it's the courts. And then the judge is a, is a deep state agent against whatever. Michael Only Cohen Donald Trump is right. Everybody else, the scientists, the lawyers, the judges, the experts, the actual business people, you know, the actual people who know. He's the only one who has been wrong. Every single thing this idiot has done his entire life, he's bankrupted everything. His whole history is fraud, being sued, and losing. He's a Yet failure. He's, he's a failure. This MAGA cult that he that he has the answers. So crazy. I mean, the frustrating thing is we're finding out kind of along all industries and from uh, people uh, running Twitter right now to people in the music industry to Donald Trump, people in politics, uh, that it seems like the bigger the asshole you are and the worse at things that you are, the more a very core group of people seem to like you and defend you every step of the way. And the move is you just don't apologize. You just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And the deeper you go, they go he's not backing down and that's kind of what the culture of our politics and just our culture in general in this country has become and it's so damaging it is just so damaging out there but what i want to ask you ben is is there a way is there a way well he's the one who knows about courts i would ask you jordy no 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 i'm being sincere ask ben don't ask me i'm not gonna be able to answer your question unless you want to take this jordy i'll leave it to you is there a way to stop these frivolous lawsuits from happening over and over and over again i know in some states they have like anti-slap laws i know we saw recently with the hillary clinton seeking sanctions against the trump attorney over their failed conspiracy suit but how could he just get away with constantly like jordy said flooding the zone with endless frivolous cases over and over and over there is a situation where someone can be declared by a court as a vexatious litigant and there's some situations where vexatious this is a very sexy episode Hold on, where, hold on, vex- hold on, vex- hold on. Are you, are you looking up the definition of vexatious? No, keep, keep going, Ben, please. There are situations where a litigant who goes pro per, meaning on their own, doing it solo, and doing it solo over and over and over again. They never should have showed me this feature. Follow <laughs> filing big nasty lawsuits with no legal rationale. <laughs> vexatious. Vexatious. Okay, we could do that. But the, the, the idea of it. <laughs> we have been canceled. <laughs> but um, a vexatious litigant is someone who files like lawsuits repeatedly. It's usually like a pro per person who will like always just file like these crazy lawsuits over and over and over again. And they keep on losing. And then someone goes, okay, this is a vexatious litigant. They can't file lawsuits anymore. Like Trump's lawsuits are that frivolous that it is essentially on that basis. I wonder if someone will actually bring a vexatious litigant claim against him. It would be hard to prevail because unfortunately he was elected president of the United States, which is like the hardest part to the hardest part of this all, which is why please vote, 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 vote and make sure people vote and make sure everybody, you know, is going to the polls because yeah. unfortunately our constitutional structure and everything everybody and me that to we have vote. and hold dear in our legal system has viewed the, the greatest deference to that position 
of the executive office. And they say that no one is above the law, but the president's powers um, are, you know, significant. And that is, you know, because it was always viewed from the days of George Washington to the current that you wouldn't have just a total criminal lunatic um, conspiracy theorist in that position. And we've had some bad presidents and we've had some presidents close, but nothing like this. And so I don't think he'll be declared a vexatious litigant, but um, he's going to lose this case in Florida. And he is facing over $1 million in sanctions brought by Hillary Clinton and a number of other people who he and Alina Haba sued for civil racketeering and conspiracy back in March of this year. They got that case dismissed. And upon getting dismissed, the judge was like, this case is so frivolous, I'm retaining jurisdiction for sanctions. Invitation, invitation accepted. Hillary Clinton and like nine other people who were sued filed it over a million dollars. And Alina Haba is already on TV saying that. You know, Donald Donald Trump said I shouldn't have filed the lawsuit or, you know, she's trying to cover for him. But she's going to be the one ultimately who holds the bag. So I hope Trump is paying her over a million dollars. And you know, he's not. And you know, he's not. No, actually, I don't hope that. I hope that they, you know, and and by the way, that judge, too, is going to grant those sanctions. Like you can see based on the rulings, people like Ben, you're great at predicting these things. Like, how do you know? Like, because because I read the documents. And I see what the judges are saying, and I could make if I could predict other things in life the same way I could predict the court cases. It's because a lot of lawyers who go on TV and do the shows and are you know are other lawyers out there, they don't read the filings. They just like speak from emotions, you know. And what I was told that the best quality of being a lawyer, having a hard ass, meaning literally just sitting in your seat and reading a document until your ass becomes so hard because you've just read all of the documents. There's no substitute for the hard work and doing the reading. Uh-huh. You know, you're doing that because I did hard ass. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. It. Vexatious, hard Vexatious. ass. <laughs> all right. But we don't play sexy music for Cash Patel. No. Although use immunity is kind of sexy now that I think of it. Might have to play horror, we might have to play horror music for Cash Patel. Der- um, <laughs> <laughs> derivative, derivative use immunity time. So the Department of Justice granted Cash Patel what's called derivative use immunity after he was previously called to testify on October 13th regarding the documents that Donald Trump stole at Mar-a-Lago. Um, but when he testified on October 13th, fifth, I plead the fifth, I plead the fifth. Yet Cash Patel spoke to Breitbart on May 5th and he was like, yeah, man. So like on, on like, you're doing it as I do the impression. He was like, he was like, yeah. So I was in the room when Donald Trump declassified all of these documents about Russia and all these other documents relating to our national security interests. I, I was there. I saw it happen. So he said all of those things to Breitbart. <laughs> he was actually the person who was appointed by Trump to deal with the National Archives after Trump left. And so one of the things that I did a video on when I read that Breitbart article mm-hmm. that not a lot of people were talking about then, not saying the DOJ watched my video, but I'm saying they may have. Not, not saying that either, that, babe. that video really talks about intent and yeah. that Donald Trump clearly had the intent if he was specifically stealing documents relating to Russia. 
I'm like, holy crap. Kestrel saying he stole documents related <laughs> to Russia. It's in here in Breitbart. I'm like, no one's talking about this. Like, can we ask him about that, please? And they did, and he pled the fifth. So now they granted him what's called use immunity, which is different than transactional immunity. And use immunity just means that all of his testimony that he gives, he's immunized. They can't charge him based on what he testifies before the grand jury. can't be prosecuted for what is derived from it derivative use immunity so if they learn something from him there that they don't get independently they can't prosecute him for that but if they have an independent source that shows that he did criminal conduct i don't know like he spoke to breitbart and admitted to the crimes on may 4th or they can prosecute him for that that's different than transactional immunity, which is just giving him immunity for the overall crime in response for his testimony. So he could actually still be charged. Also, people go, well, what if he lies? He can be charged with perjury if he lies, even if he's given derivative use immunity or transactional immunity. There you That's have it. There you have it. That's, That's why I was calling the timeout before. I was getting worried that you weren't going to explain the different types of immunity. I thought you were going to just, you know, so high level it. But I'm glad you. No, really I did it. it. I did it in two minutes. Brett, you want to talk about this Mitch McConnell thing? I did a lot of legal. Oh, so what? Okay, what does this mean with Cash Patel? What this means is he's going to testify soon. He's going to be compelled to testify. It shows that the Department of Justice is very serious about criminally prosecuting. This is an aggressive move. We've also heard that the DOJ. This is just breaking right now. That the DOJ may be considering bringing on a special prosecutor as well to prosecute trump after the midterms like you want to know how recent it broke like literally as we are, as we are doing this exclusive from cnn politics doj mulling potential special counsel if trump runs in 2024 i just don't get to how cnn can do such a good report like this and then have its opinion people now just be so horrible and just be total maga like you know that he engaged in this conduct based on your investigative team, which who knows how long they'll stay at CNN. But yeah. then your opinion people have the, the weirdest. Uh, yeah, I mean, weirdest. Is, is, that, is that a rhetorical question there, Ben, or can I answer and then I answer and then you say, Jordan, of course, that was rhetorical. Why would you answer that question? No, answer it. It gives them clicks and it allows them to speak to both, to both sides every issue. It allows them to be right and wrong at the same time and both have their paper in in the mainstream media have their articles in the mainstream media and always be talked about because they're trying to fulfill both base they're playing both sides here's You're the thing right. too it's like they have Good some point. really good Thanks. all these organizations have some really 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 good reporters really good journalists do really really good and important investigative work but when these executives now are looking at their TV networks, and and we know because we've you know talked to a lot of people about this issue, a lot of people in the industry and stuff, every time they try to diagnose the issues, they come to the wrong conclusion. They come to the conclusion that people want to hear both sides of every issue, um, and that's the problem with news. There's not enough balance. But like I've always said, 
you can't have balance between truth and lies. I mean, the things that are coming out of the right wing side, it's not just a different belief or a different perspective. Right. It is straight up conspiracy theories. So if you try to balance those two things, as I've said before, they don't balance. They're not. That's why when they say, oh, our country, it's, it's so polarized, America, the United States, it's such a polarized country. I go, but is it, though? Is it really? Because what I see is there's a pro-democracy, pro-normal faction of people that live on one plane. And when you think of polls, you think of two edges, right? You think of the two poles. But these people on the right right now aren't even on the same line. They're, they're somewhere all the way out here. You don't even know what they're talking about. They're coming, you're, you're talking about a, like a, a domestic terrorist attack on the husband of the Speaker of the House, and they go, it's a gay lover. And you what are you that's what are you even talking about? They just invent stuff out of thin air that is so preposterous. We've spoken about, you know, the, the effect of a big lie and why it's so important to them to make the lie so big, but it's so dangerous when you try to balance those two things. When you try and here's to balance the thing reality they're with coming for you, you're not safe no matter where you are. Like this is the thing too with the kind of country club Republican mentality of like, hey, you know, like I'm too busy to answer the emails. I'm at the country club. I'm, you know, like the Mitch McConnell, you know, and by the way, Mitch McConnell is very extreme, but you know, who, who's that guy too, who's now going to become the, uh, they're trying to make him like the, uh, the president of Florida university. Ben Sass. Ben Sass. Ben Sass. Ben Sass. What happened, man? So, uh, thanks for tuning in to the Just a Cabernetta show. <clears throat> and I follow all the pro-democracy podcasts. I'm a Midas Touch producer. Oxford and Berkeley honors graduate. Also, Taipei Medical University. And this is called Trump Panics with Frivolous Lawsuit. Biden defends democracy and guest house majority something or other. You know, I mean, they it doesn't unless you are an extremist, like looking shaman, like you gotta be out there. We interviewed too. We're gonna we're gonna play this interview not here on this podcast, but we, we did an interview with the Democratic candidate running for Washington's third congressional uh washington state's third congressional uh district um marie glusenkamp perez i think is the name yeah yes. marie glusenkamp yeah. perez and people said you got to interview her. you got to interview her she's running against this guy joe kent who's like literally every position he takes it to the most extreme like to be uh currently a, in uh, a MAGA, but do we have this video? I know I was. I know I wasn't gonna. You know, was gonna talk about it. But do we have the ability to play the video that Marie Glusenkamp Perez, who's running as the Democrat in Washington's third, called Joe's Greatest Hits? Like this is how you have to run now if you are going to be a Republican candidate for Congress. You have that, Brett. I could pull it up if you give me like 30 seconds. I got the filibuster because I could talk about the opponent that much more. Her opponent refuses to acknowledge that police officers died the day of the insurrection. 
Can you her opponent me, please? calls I'm these insurrectionists right political prisoners. I got yeah, too much money for it. Yeah, yeah, go for it. When I saw this video, that's why, Brett, I'm sorry to ruin the flow, but like, when I saw me. this ad that, um, that Marie Glusenkamp Perez did, on this guy, I was like, I gotta interview Marie Glusikin Perez because this is some wild stuff. Here, play this. This is this is Joe Kent who is running as the MAGA handpicked candidate in Washington's third congressional. I have my issues with the way the last election went. It was stolen. It was rigged. We're in a war with the left. We're in a war with the establishment too. The national security state has been weaponized against us at the behest of the progressive left and the globalists. Connections to right-wing extremists, including a member of the Proud Boys, courted white nationalists. I don't think there's anything wrong with there being a like white people like special interest group. The blame for what happened on January 6th. None of this is on President Trump. I mean, it, it reeks of an absolute intelligence operation. I, I 100% uh, support Roe versus Wade being overturned. I would move to have a national ban on abortion. Privatized, high-interest, tax-free savings plan that's managed on, on the private sector, on Wall Street, is a much better option for Social Security. The folks in Congress right now, like Matt Gates, I think has been absolutely unapologetic. Marjorie Taylor Greene is another one. She's a, a great fighter. We have to realize that we're at war. Bringing the national security state to heel must be our top priority. We're going to go after A.G. Garland, impeaching Joe Biden. We're in very dangerous waters right now. Unprecedented. We've never been here before. What happened, man? Mm. That block is going on. Hell no. This yeah, guy is, was handpicked by Trump to run Why is the volume because so low the on that pri one? there was a Republican who was in Washington third. It's a very moderate district, Washington State's third congressional district. And the individual uh, who who was who was the congresswoman there, she had called out uh, Donald Trump and she had voted for his impeachment. So then they got Joe Kent in there, who's like the most extremist. But Brett, talk about Mitch McConnell. Yeah, and first I'll, I'll just say uh, we're going to have our interview with Maria Glusenkamp Perez. That's going to be out. Uh, we're actually going to release it over the weekend this Saturday because we got midterms coming up. We can't take days off right now. So, so you can off. hear that interview this Saturday, and we'll also have the video dropping on Saturday as well. So let's talk about Mitch McConnell. As everybody knows, Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell have, have been in this feud. Honestly, it's, it's very much Mitch McConnell's fault. He could have ended this issue by rallying people to impeach Trump during both impeachments, but especially the second impeachment, and he chose not to. And so now he is left with Donald Trump being on him every single day. And so Donald Trump went on one of these like MAGA radio shows. I, I, I don't, every time I see some of these clips, it's just funny also that Donald Trump 
is no longer invited on any like mainstream, uh, you know, network. No, because like, they're, they're too scared that he'll get them sued. sued. Like, yeah. they, like Fox really doesn't have him on. He's anymore. a like, liability. He really is. So he's on this MAGA dude, John Frederick show. And he takes that opportunity to attack Mitch McConnell like three days before the midterm election. And he says that we should actually, that Republicans should impeach Mitch McConnell. Donald Trump accused McConnell of working with the Democrats to blow off the debt ceiling because they, quote, have something on him. Trump didn't really say exactly what that meant. I have no idea what any of that means. I mean, it's a little scary that Donald Trump was president of the United States for a lot of reasons, but it's also scary that he's president of the United States and does not know that you cannot impeach a senator. That's not something that that yeah. even happens. Yeah, um, but you know, when, when Trump is doing all of these things, though, I think he is really just rallying his supporters, rallying his violent mob to get them angry and get them on the attack and also to have somebody to blame and be angry when things don't work out mm -hmm. their way. Let, let's play this clip of Trump talking about Mitch McConnell on this radio show. The Democrats are scheming probably with some of the rhinos in order to blow the debt ceiling up. Uh, what is your position on that? It's crazy what's happening with this debt ceiling. Mitch McConnell keeps allowing to have it. I mean, they ought to impeach Mitch McConnell if he allows that. They, frankly, Mitch McConnell, something has to be, they have something on him. How he approves this thing is incredible. I don't even know what he's talking about, but we've already heard that the Republican plan is something that Kevin McCarthy has said. What they want to do if they get a hold of the Congress is they want to basically hold our government hostage in order to cut social programs like Social Security and like Medicare. They you know, want to refuse to raise the debt ceiling and they want our government to default on its debts, which would lower our credit rating. It would be absolutely devastating for the economy. And they want to hold that up. They want to basically be extort and blackmail the American people and the Democrats and say, if you don't do this, if you don't make cuts to Social Security or eliminate Social Security or eliminate Medicare or take away the CHIPS Act, they're going to attack all the accomplishments of the Biden administration, then we are going to have our government default. That's what they plan to do. Like the thing that people need to realize is that Republicans, if, if they were to win and we're not going to let them win. If they were to win, their plan is not to fix things. Their plan is going to be to make things as bad as possible so they could then blame it on the Democrats mm -hmm. and then try to ride that yeah. wave into the state. Bill Clinton, uh, but you know, he, he had a point to, to that effect the other day when he was on the campaign trail, uh, saying that is the general, uh, you know, Republican strategy. And it was kind of the, the rant uh, that I went on uh, the other day as well. But that's why it's good to see President Biden out there, you know, calling this what it is, actually calling out this political violence. And it was honestly just really great to see him lay out the stakes of this. I thought he did it in a really bipartisan way. I thought it was very presidential. He called, what is it, Jordy? Wait, wait, but, but before we move on, I just want to, because words matter, and I think, I, think I, want, I want to clarify this, at least on my end, and I'm not sticking up for Mitch McConnell. I don't think him and Trump have a feud because that would make it so two people are fighting. 
Trump is just bullying Mitch McConnell at this point because Mitch McConnell isn't standing up to Trump. Wait. Hi there, I'm Christopher, Arizona State. Things that he can do with his power to stop the nonsense. So I, I wouldn't McConnell, call it a feud. I would just say yeah, I'd vote for McConnell. I, th I think McConnell's a guy who sort of plays in the shadows, right? I, I think he's the sort of guy who will take the punches in public and will do what he can in the background of things to say F you to Trump. I kind of think that's how he operates, just kind of, you know, generally. Um, but it'll be interesting to, you know, to, to see what happens. But, you know, I, at the end of the day, Donald Trump is an incredible threat to the country. These Republicans are an incredible threat to the country because they've really abandoned the principles that our country was founded on. They've really abandoned the whole notion that we are a democracy. Now hear a constant refrain, we're not a democracy. What are you talking about? Democracy is bad. We're a constitutional republic. I mean, that's like saying it's not a sandwich. It's a hoagie. It's like, all right, come down. It's not a sandwich. It's a roast beef sandwich. Uh, okay. It's a type of sandwich though. Um, and you have these Republicans that are really now they're, they're highlighting political violence as a means to their ends. They're being, you know, incredibly violent. They're riling up their people. And the second their people actually go, it's this idea of stochastic terrorism. But once this person builds themselves up, thinks of themselves as a hero, and then actually goes and commits the act of violence that they were told to do, what do these MAGAs do? They are cowards. They go, oh, he wasn't one of us. That was Antifa. That was this. That was that. They never are able to actually take responsibility. And I always have to imagine, like, it's hard to find levity in any of these horrific moments but could you imagine like being let's think of, like the guy who attacked Paul Pelosi and thought he was doing this as like I'm the you know the MAGA guy I'm gonna do this for my my brothers in MAGA and he goes and then the way they turn on him and smear him you know it's like the Ray Epps thing uh the Ray Epps guy who uh was out the night before saying we're going to storm the Capitol on January 6th and the whole right-wing ecosystem ended up going he's an FBI agent that guy's a fraud da, da, da. it's like dude he's one of you man like all these people just get thrown under the bus by them every single time but a couple of lines that I want to uh, talk about from President Biden quickly uh the speech that he gave last night which I thought was incredible it was held at Union Station in, in Washington DC uh you know just blocks from the U.S. Capitol where, of course, the insurrectionists tried to attack or did attack and tried to stop the certification of the 2020 election. And in, in no uncertain terms, Biden said, we cannot take democracy for granted any longer. And I think he really spoke to the fears that people have of this democracy. I mean, I think people are looking at the polls. They're, they're, people are very concerned. I know everybody who I speak to is very concerned about the fate of our country, kind of above almost everything else. And Biden said, there's something else at stake here. Our democracy itself is at stake. And he called out Donald Trump, too. He said, American democracy is under attack because the defeated former president, I love when he breaks that out, refused to accept the results of the 2020 election. He refuses to accept the will of the people. He refuses to accept the fact that he lost. He's abused his power. And, you know, the reaction from the right was as expected. They go, oh, divisive. Oh, how could you? But if you really listen to the words of that speech as an, onuous, as an honest, genuine, objective observer, you can come to no other conclusion that that was a speech about what makes America 
America. And as we've said before, the reactions to these speeches when President Biden condemns autocracy and condemns fascism, the people that are the loudest and the people that are first to complain about those speeches are really at the end of the day telling on themselves. Because if somebody says, you know what, we want to prevent fascism and autocracy in this country, and you go, stop talking about me like that. Uh, you told on yourself. Yeah. DJ, as the great DJ Khaled said, you played yourself. <laughs> nice. Okay. Anyway, awesome. I don't All right. <laughs> I'm with you, Brett. And just tell us about the early voting numbers because I got Jim Clyburn ready to go. All right, let's go into the early voting numbers quickly and we'll get to Jim Clyburn. The data is really good, guys. The data is really, really, really good now. And we don't say this to instill false hope and we don't say this to lull anybody in complacency. We say, that, we say this to make sure that we stay on track here and that we continue to get out there and continue to vote. This should not slow a single person down. I wanted to motivate you to further get out there and to know that we can win this. Here's their early vote update. And this comes from Simon Rosenberg, who's been who's been checking out the data from Target early. And once again, after the show, go check out on our YouTube or our podcast. You can listen to our interview with Simon Rosenberg. So right now, Democrats are leading in the early vote, 50 to 39. And this, are, the way the Target early data works is it doesn't know who people are actually voting for, but it could see who is turning in ballots. Are Democrats turning in ballots? Are Republicans turning in ballots? Are unaffiliateds turning in ballots? At this moment in time, the Democrats hold a 3.2 million national vote lead. And states that have a Democratic share above the 2020 share, there are a lot of them and a lot of important states. And here is it by net increase, okay? Michigan has a 22 point net increase over the Democratic share from nice. 2020. New Jersey, 15 points. Wisconsin, 14 points. Georgia, 12. Pennsylvania, 12. Iowa, 10. Indiana, 10. Ohio, 9. Virginia, 8. Minnesota, 7. Texas, 6. And it goes on and on from there. It, it, that's all great news. Democrats now have a bigger lead in the early and male voting in North Carolina than they did at this point in 2020. Young Democrats in Georgia have cast over 10,000 more ballots than they had Ooh. at this point in 2010 and in 2018. Though young voter turnout is lagging slightly in some states, like in Texas, it's lagging a little bit. And people are attributing that to the SB1 law, which passed, because that actually outlawed 24-hour voting, early voting, late voting. And so think about if you're what? a student, and if you have a job, if you're working all day, if you're in class all day, they have prevented people from going to the polls at those off hours that they used to be able to go to the polls to. So that's an example of voter suppression at work right there. But we're also seeing these great videos, though. They've also, by the way, they've closed a lot of the polls at college campuses in Texas, which is super messed up. But the places where the polls are open, I mean, we are seeing such good signs out there. I'm going to play this video for the people watching. And this is a video of a line of voters at, oh, I believe man. this is UT Austin waiting to vote early. And the line just Why goes is it on Austin? and on and on. Because That's Austin's very like liberal. See you know what, though? I like to see it, Brett, but it is so absurd when it is actually so easy to vote. So what true. you're watching so there is exactly what they're trying to make students yep. to do in Texas. Yep. Because if you actually let those students vote and say probably more than like one machine or two machines that they all have to wait in a line for, and you actually just opened it up to let the people freaking vote, let the people freaking vote. 
Okay, crazy. like yeah. how could you be like? And that's the thing too. Like when your position is not letting people. You are the most cowardly, freaking anti-democratic, anti-democracy, small D democratic. It is absurd. And I'm, yes, Brett, that is a great sign, that video that you just showed. But that is an absurd thing that in the United States of America, we are forcing people to wait on the line. Because I bet you there are tons of people who look at that and go, I don't want to wait on that line. You know, and then they go, no, you've got to go on that line. It's beyond absurd that that exists, that we don't come up with ways between you know, e-voting, you know, which exists in other countries. And like, there's so many other ways to vote and Republicans want that process. It, it, it boils my blood. Anything else you want to say there, Brett? Cause I want to bring in Jim Clyburn. If, if you got any more. Now I, I want to say, uh, f- first you have all these BS Republican complaints that go, it's ridiculous that so many of these States can't get the vote to us the night of the election. Meanwhile, Republicans are the ones who refuse to pass laws that allow vote counters to start counting votes as they receive the votes and force them to wait until the polls, cl- polls yeah, close. Yeah. So this is an example of Republicans creating a problem, then using that problem to spread disinformation <laughs> and spread propaganda and to inject further doubt in our elections. And you see a lot of big, voice in the Republican Party starting to spread this disinformation about we need us, you know, they're sort of doing a stop the count, stop the count kind of thing right now. And I think that shows to me a little bit of a sign of panic coming from their side. And what we have to hope right now is that with this giant difference right now that we are making in the early vote, we have to hope that we dig such a hole that Republicans cannot come out of it on the day and we didn't make sure that people continue to show up and as simon rosenberg told us the more people who early vote it makes it easier for other people to then vote later on it actually increases turnout overall because it actually allows people the democratic party groups campaigns to then target those lower propensity voters get them out to the polls, which increases turnout. And so what we got to hope right now is that we are building a tidal wave. We are building a blue wave. And that what we are not seeing right now is that moment like uh, before a tsunami when like the ocean gets pulled out and you're like, where are all the, look at all this land. Where did all the water go? And then you get slammed. We want to make sure that that's not what's going to happen to us on the Republican side. And the way we defeat that is by making sure we show up early, vote early, and everybody who listens to this podcast just text like 
five friends and tell them to get to the polls wherever you are. It's so important everywhere. Now I'm really excited to get into our interview with the House Majority Whip, Jim Clyburn. Wait, 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 before, wait, 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 before getting into the champion of democracy, Jim Clyburn, I want to remind everybody that if you support independent media like this, you need to check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Midas Touch. We are not funded by any outside investors at all. So none of the billionaire and millionaire outside investors who fund the both sideism media and the pro-fascist media. We are purely fueled by democracy and powered by your generosity. So when you ask, because I get all the emails and the DMs, Ben, what can I do to help no matter where you are in the world? That's what I'm asking you to do. If you can help us out by going to patreon.com slash Midas Touch, there are a number of different memberships that you can join that has exclusive content, exclusive podcasts, exclusive Q&A sessions there, exclusive merch. There's a, a tier where you could become an honorary producer of the Midas Touch podcast. Your name will appear and you will get a poster commemorating being an honorary producer. For those Which watching, keeps growing. Right now you see the names. It keeps on growing. We are almost at two thousand patrons which was our goal by the end of november let's hit that goal right now and by joining patreon.com slash midas touch please if you can help wherever you are in the world patreon.com slash midas touch Reds is showing for those who are listening, but those who are watching, seeing it. The I Read Band Books shirt, which you can get exclusively at the Midas Touch store at store. 
www.midastouch.com, the best pro-democracy year. We got the shirt that Jordy's wearing. We've got Convict or Convict 45 shirts. We've got a number of other great shirts like Person, Woman, Man, Camera, Prison. A great day to buy that. Rovember and row, row your votes for those shirts. We have a 30% off flash sale for just the Rovember and row, row your vote shirt. So go and get that now at store.midastouch.com. And now... Let's bring in our interview with the legendary, legendary. pro-democracy champion, yes. Yes. Jim Clyburn. This is a letter written by Gene Roddenberry, sent to Star Trek fans in 1980. The essence of the Star Trek missions are to discover, to learn more about our universe, and to apply that knowledge to the benefit of mankind. It is this idea which the Planetary Society is devoted to. And I am very pleased to associate myself with the Planetary Society. You know, people across the globe, spanning generations, continue to be moved by Star Trek's optimistic vision. The Planetary Society is bringing us closer to Gene's vision of a better future. So, are you with us? Right. It's blocked. Oh man. Why is it so volume so low? Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. We are joined by Congressman Jim Clyburn representing South Carolina's 6th Congressional District. Congressman Clyburn, of course, is the majority whip and the third-ranking Democrat in the United States House of Representatives. Welcome to the Midas Touch podcast, Congressman. Thank you very much for having me. So, Congressman, you're back in South Carolina after traveling to seven different states over the last 13 days to support Democratic congressional candidates. What is your takeaway about how people are feeling about the midterms after your travels? Well, I feel much better uh, after this trip uh, than I did before the trip. And I'm hopeful that I can feel a little bit better uh, after uh, the results come in next week. Uh, I don't know uh, that we're exactly uh, where we need to be yet. We're in a much better place today uh, than we were uh, a few days ago. Uh, and hopefully we'll be in an uh, even better place uh, next week. Upbeat. Blue wave. Uh, Hi there, I'm Christopher Arizona. Optimistic uh, that we can hold on uh, to the House and gain the Senate. Now, the reason I always say gain the Senate, because people keep saying that we're in charge uh, of the Senate. Uh, we can organize the Senate because we can break a tie on the floor uh, with the um, uh, Hello. vice president. Hello. In the committees, a tie vote uh, will not prevail. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we are uh, really in charge of the floor, but not the committee. Most committee work, uh, or most work in the Senate is done in the committees. And what we need is a definitive 51, 52 votes uh, in the Senate uh, before we can be in charge. So when you're out there and you're speaking to voters, 
Um, what are the kind of top issues that come to mind that people are speaking to you about right now? Well, believe it or not, uh, people may talk about their personal uh, issues. Some may be talking about Roe v. Wade and it, the overturning uh, Roe v. Wade. A lot of people are talking about uh, the economy, uh, whether or not uh, inflation uh, is out of hand. But everybody is talking about this democracy. I'm amazed at the number of people who really feel that none of this is going to matter if we lose the country. And for us to think that we can't lose the country, I'll just ask you to be informed by history. I don't know that anybody in Germany felt that when they elected Adolf Hitler to be their chancellor, uh, that within years they would have a dictator. They allowed Hitler to discredit the press, allowed him to co-opt religion, religious institutions. Next thing we knew, Germany was gone. This 45 took that playbook, and that's what's going on today. And I don't understand why people can't see that. Well, I think, as you say, Congressman, the people who are speaking to you see that. One of the questions that I always have is, why doesn't the press see that? And why is the media often just having these discussions like you have two normal political parties who just take different sides of the issue where, and I want to get your take on this, I feel like we only have one major political party, and that's the Democratic Party that supports democracy today. What do you think about that? I think you're absolutely correct. And more and more people are not saying that. And you're right. At the beginning, you were that because I saw it. Uh, legal AF. And I remember what I said to her. I said, I said Nancy, she, she said something to me about the National Guard. I said, we got to do something about the National Guard. Uh, it can't be done by the uh, District of Columbia, because I had already been told by friends of mine who worked in the District of Columbia uh, that their authority with the National Guard had been taken away. Wow. And that they did not have the ability uh, to bring out the National Guard. That rested with the White House. That, to me, is an indication that things were being put in place. That's why so many of those insurrectionists could say these people are on our side. They knew that things had been laid, the foundation had been put in place for them to do things and get away with it. And so I was the one that said to Nelson, call uh, the governor of Virginia. Uh, Steny Hoyer got on the phone and called the governor of Maryland. And I said to Nelson, as we know, uh, I, I like Hogan. Uh, but I'm not too sure uh, of his uh, bipartisanship here. Call uh, over to the governor of, of Virginia uh, and see what we can get done over there. So uh, I said that to her, and she did. You may recall in one of those uh, videos, she was on the phone with the governor of Virginia. Yeah, and you know one of the things that I did notice in that video also, in multiple videos, is that alongside you were many of your Republican colleagues. And these same Republican colleagues of yours later went on television and their social media platforms and various podcasts, and they lied 
about what happened that day, despite being in the room in the heat of the moment, fearing for their lives right alongside you and the speaker and Chuck Schumer. What do you say to those Republican colleagues who were in the heat of the moment with you and then got out there and lied to the American public and in some cases blamed Speaker Pelosi for the attack? Exactly right, Brett. And uh, I really, that to me was one of the most disappointing things I've ever seen. Even when I first heard Steve Scalise was one of the people who said it. Steve and I they carried on a pretty positive relationship. As you know, our chair, and he's a ranking member on the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus, and we have a very good working relationship. But for some strange reason, I think they've made some decision that they've got to politicize everything, no matter what it is. The country's welfare is secondary to their political success. That, to me, is dangerous. They don't give a damn. Whatever it is, the country must come first. It's fucking fascist. The country must be above the policy. Country or people must be above politics. But they seem to decide uh, that irrespective of what the people's needs may be, what the country's problems may be, they got to make it political. And of course, when we speak about January 6th, we're not just speaking about an incident that occurred in the past. This is not some historic incident. This is something that is active. This is something that Republicans are engaging with right now as far as election interference as to trying to kind of end our future elections. And I saw you recently say, quote, these midterms are about who gets to vote in the future and the credibility of future elections. Can you elaborate on that point and lay out the stakes of these upcoming midterms? Oh, sure. The moment the Supreme Court made its decision in the Holder decision, in that case, the Supreme Court took away the, prote- the protections that have been there since 1965 over the integrity of the vote. Before 1965, I remember my parents not being able to register the vote, both of whom were college students. My father, a minister, my mother, a businesswoman. Why? Because things like not being able to tell how many jelly beans were in a jar was the kind of things being used. How many bubbles in a bar of soap? These were things that were used in the South to deny people the right to vote, give me your interpretation or the or, or interpretation to my satisfaction of the Constitution. These things were outlawed, poll taxes, by the 1965 Voting Rights Act. The moment that protection got turned away, these states came up with other innovative ideas. Putting in place a committee that will have the right to overturn election results. That's what they did in Georgia and Texas. Putting together a law that makes it a criminal act to give somebody a bottle of water standing in line for five or six miles 
of the house waiting to vote. And if you give them a bottle of water, you have committed a criminal act. That's what I mean when I say that. And one of them taking place while standing in line to vote. The other one that I mentioned before takes place when you're sitting at home looking at the results of your vote. And you watch some committee saying, I'm overturning the, the results of your vote because I don't like the outcome. That is the kind of stuff of which autocracies are made. That is what I meant. And with our democracy at such risk right now, and with all the division that we are facing and all the lies that we are seeing from the right, what will it take to actually bring this country back to a place of relative normalcy again? At least two definitive elections. I think that's what it's going to take. I think next Tuesday, the results of next Tuesday will go a long way toward determining whether or not a foundation will be laid for this country to come to its senses. I just don't think it's going to happen otherwise. Why do I feel that way? Because I think that what happened in 1964 when Goldwater contested for the presidency against Lyndon Johnson. Remember what was going on in 1964? You guys are too young to remember, but I was around. In 1964, we had Lyndon Johnson running for president on his own. We just had the president of the United States of America assassinated in uh, Dallas, Texas. We just had people surrounding that assassination. James Earl Ray. Earl Ray was the Jack Ruby. Shady characters that nobody ever uh, had been able to figure out exactly what it was. And we're still in the country not saying everything that needs to be said about that. Some shady stuff took place around that assassination. Lyndon Johnson tried in 1964 to get the Civil Rights Act passed and couldn't get it passed. In order to get that bill passed, he took voting out of it, took housing out of it. Two critical things. You build wealth quicker but with housing than anything else. And to keep, they didn't want us to have fair housing. They didn't want us uh, to have uh, uh, voting. And so Lyndon Johnson went out to the public. says, I can't get it done. Give me a Congress, a House, and a Senate. And we'll do it next year. He got the House and the Senate that he wanted. And in August the 6th, 1965, he was able to sign the Voting Rights Act. In 1968, we got the Fair Housing Law. In 19... 72, the Civil Rights Act prepared, uh, 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 applied to the private, uh, the public sector as well as the private. That was because we had a definitive election in 64. That is what it's going to take. A definitive election. If this election is real close either way, we're going to have a problem 
going forward. And that's why these elections and all elections are so important. It's not just about the next two years, but it is generational change that could occur with every single election. And you understand that every time we just saw you out on the campaign trail recently. And of course, in 2020, you famously endorsed President Biden at a pivotal moment before the South Carolina primaries. Uh, look, reflecting back at that endorsement, has President Biden met the expectations of your endorsement? Absolutely, absolutely. And one of my uh, most valuable um, advisors, political advisors, my late wife, said to me, uh, May of 2020, no, I'm sorry, May of, yeah, 2020, uh, 2019, May of 2019, just before she passed away, uh, she said to me, if we want to win this election, we better nominate your body. Now, Emily uh, was a medical librarian at the VA hospital here in Columbia. She used to go through all those wards talking to people. She could tell me who was going to win every election. And she did. She never missed an election. Even my own. When I ran for Secretary of State, she told me that she thought I was running a good campaign. And I should keep running a good campaign. But, she said, get prepared because you're not going to win. We need to stop Joe Biden's failed policies. We need to vote for Blake Masters for U.S. Senate. Skyrocketing inflation, rising crime, and an open border allowing the cartels to flood our streets with drugs. It's time to stop the insanity. To make a change, we need to vote for change. On November 8th, vote Blake Masters for U.S. Senate. Idiots. <laughs> Run good, but you're not going to win. And, of course, I lost. So when she will say that to her own husband, and then she said, if we want to win this election... We better nominate Joe Biden. So that was behind all of that. Okay. Now, a lot of things took place uh, between her death in September 2019 to that endorsement uh, in February 2020. But that was behind it. Did he, has he lived up to my expectations? Yes, he has. Because he found a country with people dying in record numbers being hospitalized all over the place, businesses shuttered, schools closed. He passed the Rescue Act. He signed that bill six weeks after he became president. Schools reopened. Businesses uh, reopened. People went back to work, got cash in people's pockets, and got shots in people's arms. He did what was necessary to get things back on track. And then we passed the so-called bipartisan infrastructure bill. And we had the biggest investment, infrastructure investment that we had in this country since Dwight Eisenhower in the state highway. That's a fact. Go back and check. And then we went on to do uh, the so-called Chips and Science Act. Inflation Reduction Act, the PAC Act, the Safer Communities Act. You get into all of that, 
And you say, when have we had anything like that? You got to go back to 1965. Lyndon Johnson's Great Society is the first time you find anything like what this man has done when you look at history. And it's all written together. Remember now, in 1965, you got Medicaid and Medicare. It's in this bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, is when we finally got the ability for Medicare to negotiate for the price of, of, of drugs, for the cost of drugs. We finally got the ability to put a cap on insulin. Emily lost a battle, a 30-year battle with diabetes when she passed away. I saw her insulin bill, sometimes $800 a month for insulin, for a medicine that's been around for 100 years. This country got access to the pattern for $1. A guy who came up with insulin did not want to make a profit or people's misery. He sold the pattern for $1. And then we give the ability to these drug companies to sell it for whatever they want to. We took that away. At least now, for people on Medicare, when the bill passed the House, we did it for everybody. That's why this election is important, because we need to do that for everybody. Children are being born with diabetes every day. Why Joe Biden had the vision to let us out? We didn't just take care uh, with the PAC Act of the soldiers coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. We went back and picked up those soldiers who didn't got uh, didn't get everything they need from Vietnam, Agent Orange. A lot of people got 30, 40, 50 percent uh, disability when they should have been getting 80, 90, and 100. And I know it's working because I got stopped in the morning hour the other day coming out of a church. A man reached out and grabbed me by the arm. He says, I came out of Vietnam uh, with Agent Orange. It's causing leukemia uh, that I just got diagnosed with. I never got more than 50 percent. I went last week. They gave me 100 percent. Thank you. The PAC Act is working. So Joe Biden has made it. So no, I'm very happy with what he's done. But you know who's not happy? Those people who want pharmaceutical companies to continue charging anything they want to charge. That's why they want uh, to repeal the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, that's why they want to repeal uh, stuff in the uh, so-called uh, rescue plan. They have decided that if they get the chance, they are going to means test Medicare. Means that no matter how much money you spend into Medicare, yeah, you've been paying for it since you were 16 years old. You're now over 65. But unless your income dictates, no matter how much money you put into it, you gonna have you may not get it back. Same thing for Social Security. They want to privatize Social Security. Turn it over to the stock market so the people who've been funding these campaigns, all of this dark money, it'll come to light if they get a chance 
because they are going to give the Social Security money to these people to speculate on Wall Street. That's what they want to do. When they say they want to sunset Social Security, that's what's at stake here. So people who are looking forward to Social Security retirement, who are looking forward to Medicare that they've been paying for since they were 14, 15, and 16 years old, they better vote like it. And Congressman, before we head out, any final words to voters? I think you summed it up nicely there, but any final words to people watching this? I would say this democracy is worth saving. Unless it's told us way back when he came to this country and observed what this democracy is all about. He said, America is not great because it is more enlightened than any other nation, but rather because she has always been able to repair her faults. We have faults in our system. COVID-19 revealed some of them. We see the mistake this country made in the election of 2016 revealed some faults. We must demonstrate our greatness by repairing those faults. And the way to do that is to give this Congress, this president, uh, the votes that they need in order to continue our pursuit of a more perfect union. It'll never be perfect, but we should always be in pursuit of perfection. Not give up on it and turn to an autocracy because that is where this democracy will die. Congressman Jim Clyburn, a true honor to have you on the Midas Touch podcast. We appreciate you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. That was freaking great. Find out what is... <laughs> Digestive problems. Ozone saved my life, my career. It, it's that big of a deal. And I think that you. There you have it. Jim Clyburn, the House Majority Whip on the Midas Touch podcast, breaking it down, showing Amazing. what is really at stake here, bro. Amazing. I mean, Clyburn is that he's the kind of guy that when he speaks, you can't help but just listen to and hang on every single word. Truly an honor to have House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn on the show and take his words seriously as we head into these final days before election. Our democracy is at stake here. It is so important that everybody gets out to vote. As we mentioned earlier, we're going to have a episode with Marie uh, Guzencamp-Perez that comes out on Saturday, so be sure to check our podcast feed for that on Saturday. It's going to be on our YouTube as well. Got an episode coming for you monday our last podcast before election day so you know it's going to be a good one and as we head into this weekend this is the weekend where we got to hit the ground running there's no relaxing this weekend people let's do this let's make it happen and this is as we always say the midas mighty is an active community so after you watch this you don't just go on to the next podcast or the next now is when you put in the work so Whoever it is that you know who hasn't voted yet, be it a friend, a neighbor, 
a family member, a colleague, co-worker, whoever, who you think can vote blue, please do your part right now. With the numbers of people who watch this podcast, if you just got two, five, 10, 15, we're talking about millions and millions of people. You know, one of the things I saw, Brett, I don't know if you saw that uh, Fox was getting rid of, I think it was Shepard Smith or whatever, or, yeah. or was demoting him or something. And I looked at his numbers and I was like, we do better numbers yeah. here than yeah. he does at Fox, Absolutely. you know. And so if our community here gets involved and actually spreads this message, we could be the decision maker. We could be the deciding factor. We could be the X factor that really changes the game. And so everybody, please do what you can to get out people to vote. We would so appreciate that. And also, if you like independent media like this, please go to our Patreon site and become a member of our Patreon site at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. You spell that P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Midas Touch, M-E-I-D-A-S. T-O-U-C-H. We are not funded by any outside investors. Okay, and guys. so all... Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, if you enjoyed this podcast, I cover all the pro-democracy podcasts. Why... Hasn't Congress called for on HR twenty Okie doke. Porter on the midterms. <clears throat> the midterms inflation and crime with Representative Katie Porter. Love Katie Porter. John Stewart. Parker. Joined as uh, always by a couple of our writers today. We've got Jay Jordan and Alexa Loftus are going to be joining us. Uh, today we're going to be talking to Congresswoman Katie Porter of California on the podcast. Who? I love Katie Porter. Uh, just such a clear and concise and effective communicator. Dare uh, I say a, a star. A star. For I've God's never sakes. seen someone whose choice of weaponry is a whiteboard and a dry erase marker, and she slays. Those things are sharp. By the way, Marvel has that superhero coming out soon. <laughs> oh, yeah? Whiteboard. It's incredible. They whiteboard? Well, I'm glad they finally got back from all the woke superheroes. Finally. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the whiteboard superhero is being played by a lesbian Sufi Muslim. Ooh. Yeah, so okay. they're really, okay. they're, they're digging in uh, as all things go along. Guys! What's going down? Okay, so... <laughs> oh, boy, no, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, that, that founded not positive. Did you hear that collective sigh? That was, that was really... John? I go, what's going on? And I just heard, so... Um, 
so. Alexa, tell him. Well, I don't know if you heard, but uh, Papa Pelosi. Yeah, terrible. Was, you know. Nancy Pelosi's husband was attacked. In a beautiful neighborhood in San Francisco, of all places. You got a view of the bridge, the bay, the stunning island of Alcatraz. Alexa, are you moving? Are you, <laughs> right. Are, are you going into real estate? What's happening here? Well, we're talking about the escalation of violence in this country. We're talking about the right. escalation of political ideology, like strongly becoming like acts of violence against political figures That's in right. such a brazen fashion and then the spin afterwards like it's so fucked up well, that that's the part that i think is so difficult is that everything has to be a bellwether and i think now no matter what story you watch you you think to yourself like don't let it be one of our guys it's got to be one of the other guys if it's one of the other guys then we're going to jump in but how are we going to you know defang it if it is one of our guys and then you know it's this really bizarre calculation that even that even violence and deviance against uh, a public figure has to be seen as a bellwether of something leading to, you know, uh, is, is it about crime? Is it about terrorism? Is it about uh, the one thing that I will say is this, though, wouldn't it be nice? Because this clearly this is a person with deep, deep mental issues. Yeah. Sure. And deranged. Yeah, that would be but wouldn't it be nice wouldn't if the online nice. rantings of a mentally ill or deranged individual didn't sound so much like the talking points of certain media outlets. It's not basically only, verbatim Tucker Carlson. Right. It's not, and right. it's not, and it's not even removed. It's not even like, oh, this is an escalation it's of the rhetoric. It's not processed through a diseased mind. No, 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 it comes no. out differently. It's not, not even, even synonyms. It's exact. And mm -hmm. how fucked up is that? It's super fucked up because, like you said, it turns it into team sports. We're like, oh, I'm, it, it can't be one of our guys. Like, that's wild. That's right. crazy. We're talking about an 80-something-year-old man getting hit in the head with a hammer, having his skull fractured. This is one degree of separation from the person third in line to be the president. And the... The other side of this is people go, oh, well, isn't it kind of funny that now we can turn into like a gay conspiracy rumor? Right. Like, well, that's and again, and, and that goes like lightning. I mean, that thing, all the rumor mongering that gets out there. But, and as soon as the truth comes out, it, the whole temperature of it comes down because it can no longer be used as a fulcrum in the culture war. It, it's no longer a pivot point anymore to allow anyone to score yeah and as soon as that's gone well then it's just an older gentleman uh in a hospital icu trying to recover from a hammer attack and and who cares about that at a minimum i just wish everyone could be like yes this is fucked up but you know what don jr had to say oh here's my halloween costume oh here's a funny gay joke i'll say this as a queer person we were busy this weekend it was halloween we had to dress up as Slutty Spider-Man. We had a lot of things. <laughs> Wait, Slutty Spider-Man? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's already, already kind of slutty. The costume is so tight, Jay, that that is redundant. John, I don't think... More okay. holes. I'll, John, I'll see you some links. <laughs> we had oh, shit right. to do. It's yeah. so... And it's like poisonous because then you're just laughing. But at, I, I will say this, though. That their life is so myopic at this point that that is all it is focused on. And that's the danger of it is it has subsumed everything there that could go. have been good about their lives. 
and it's all consumed by this battle that they're waging that, like you say, so many other people are just looking around at Spider-Man's crotch. That's, I didn't want to. Not a bad way to go. And it's disseminated, (laughs) and it's disseminated on Twitter. That's that's the other part of this. Like, okay. Well, that's like, now the, I mean, the Twitter is the methodology by which all of this gets disseminated in an instant. And we still haven't yet adjusted to uh, what that social media maelstrom is doing to our foundational brains. It's like Elon Musk. I think it's Musk, bad. Right. <laughs> I'm starting to think it's bad. I don't think we're well. What? Let me ask you guys this, because there's a lot of talk now about Elon Musk has taken over Twitter and my God, it's already happening. Mm-hmm. And it does strike me a little bit of how dare Elon Musk turn this shithole into a cesspool. Like, <laughs> John, before he got there, I, I hate to say it, but Twitter is a shithole. It's a cesspool to begin with. Would you pay $44 billion for like, I don't know, a bathroom stall at a rest stop? So I would pay 38 to 40 billion. You know, my ceiling on when I was trying to buy Twitter, I said to them, 38 billion is kind of, uh, it's already over my budget. I budgeted 37 billion. I think Musk, he wants to turn Twitter into his own fight club. Well, I, I think it's to a certain extent, uh, what, what he suffers from is, is I think what, what Kanye is suffering from and all that, which is, I don't know if it's sexism or isn't, but it's certainly narcissism. And there is, I think what he enjoys the most about it is the hallelujahs. This, uh, there was the next day on Twitter, there was a lot of hallelujah, finally. And I was looking through it and I was like, nope, same shitty people that were there. Not only <laughs> like, same shitty it's people. It's always been shitty. I don't understand. But worse, he's a cornball. Is it? I'll say this because he wants to be a bastion of free speech. He's a fucking corny loser. He doesn't want to be a bastion of free speech. He wants to be a hero. He wants to be uh, talked about. He wants to control things. But I don't think he wants to be uh, a bastion of free speech.
never there's nothing that he's demonstrated in his career other than trolling on Twitter that demonstrates an allegiance to free speech. Certainly Tesla's not. His companies are not bastions of free speech. It's so why the would people who think that free speech means governance by trolling that like this sort of like well, that's... lie? That's what it is. To them, free speech is uh, the use of the N-word jumped up, I don't know how many percentages, when he was brought on. It's him bringing But there was sink. use of it already. Like, I got to tell you, within I joined Twitter, and 20 seconds later, it was like, hey, man, welcome. What's up? What took you so long? <laughs> and then, like, the fifth comment was like, hey, Leibowitz. Right? <laughs>
BTS fans, Harry Styles fans, like it is just a place. John, don't you get us in trouble with the army? John, if you get me in South Korea in trouble, well, well finally. Elon will put a stop to all that. Speaking of all that, you know, uh, in terms of communication, we're going to be talking to right now, if I could bring it, it's Congresswoman uh, Katie Porter, who I don't know if you saw uh, the other day, she did a presentation on inflation that finally broke down some of the information about what's behind some of this. And I think, do we, do we have that? According to this chart, what is the biggest driver of inflation during the pandemic? The blue is the, the dark blue is the recent period. It would be corporate profits. And what is that percentage? It is 54%. And that number does stay at that level of high if you update that number to more recent numbers as well. So over half of the increased prices people are paying are coming from increases in corporate profits. Yes, inflation is covered 24 hours a day, as it should be. You've got the Fed saying the only thing that can stop it is interest rates. And then you have Congresswoman Katie Porter comes out and goes, well, if you actually, if you break it down, the company, the company, it's corporate profits play. Not the whole thing, but nobody fucking covered it. Nobody talked <laughs> right? about it. Right, because if you just say the buzzword inflation, people go, oh, yeah, inflation. And you oh, go, yeah, oh, yeah, shitty. inflation. Right. But when someone says it's corporate profits, you go, wait a second. Right, so maybe we don't have to cause a catastrophic recession to get it under control. But God forbid anybody discusses that. So let, let's, we've got Katie Porter. She's going to come in, and uh, the congresswoman's been uh, nice enough to come and talk to us. And I'll talk to you guys. Uh, I don't know what you're talking to me about. <laughs> All right, and then we'll go get on. You know, you know what? If you guys live, tweet it, because you can do that now, because hallelujah, it's been freed. I'm going to say whatever uh, I want. The, the dumpster fire is now a forest fire. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is excitement for today. We are going to bring in Congresswoman Katie Porter from California. Well, first of all, Congresswoman, welcome. Thank you. Tuesday is is election day in in your district. How are things out there for you? What's what's the situation? This race is a dead heat. It's going to be a toss up, and I think that people are sometimes surprised to hear that. Um, but we've I am surprised to hear. But we have that. seen this happening around the country. Some of these suburban districts in bluer states. So places in Washington, in Oregon, in Jersey, in California, these are really going to be battlegrounds. So my race was just moved to a toss-up, which is not the news you want to wake up to one week before Election Day. Um, but I was also out this morning, um, you know, putting up flyers and getting ready to canvas and knock doors. So I am going to work my butt off to make sure that we win in, on, in a week from now. Here's why I find that incredibly surprising. You are uh, and have been one of the most effective communicators and legislators for economic issues that I have seen in in the last 20 years in Congress, the, the clarity uh, in which you are able to illustrate the different points of, of our economy and how it's skewed and corrupt, I'm always really impressed by so let me ask you a question do your voters have c-span <laughs> so do they so actually that? let this is a great point there's two points i want to make here one is at that sure. sort of a simple point nine million dollars in republican mm -hmm. super PAC ads that have been answered by three hundred thousand dollars of democratic mailers that's a big gulf. That's $8.7 million in negative messaging. So there, this is the, Nas the, the National Committee and Republicans and, and other uh, SPACs and PACs. Right. So the National Republican Committees have spent $9 million, and the Democrats have answered that 
with 300,000. So that's going to have an effect any which way you cut it, straight up. The second point I want to make could is... Could the Democratic committee get you that money? Sure they, 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 they could. Can they start spending? Sure they could. But they're, having, they're making decisions all over the map. They're prioritizing different people and different races, and there's a complex map to do that. So, look, mm-hmm. I always want to make sure that I can do my part to help elect Democrats everywhere, that there are good Democrats on the ballot. And so I'm I'm working to stand on my own two feet here and deliver this race myself with the help, by the way, of all of my grassroots supporters and people who knock doors for me and chip in. But the second point I want to make, which I think is a really interesting one, is you said, do your viewers have C-SPAN? And the answer, of course, is sure, but they're not sitting at home all day watching it because they have jobs and kids and parents and commutes. So one of the things that I think people don't know about politics that I really struggle with is we are not allowed ethically under the House ethics rules to use Mm -hmm. footage of us doing our jobs in our campaigns. So I can't show viewers. Wait, what? Yes. So if I question a witness about inflation, if I push the CDC director and get us free testing, if I hold Jamie Dimon's feet to the fire about employee pay, just to name a few, I can't use those those clips, that footage of me actually doing my job well to get elected. And of course, the only reason people should vote for anyone, Democrat, Republican or otherwise, is if they think they're going to do a good job. But I'm not allowed to show people me actually doing a good job. Instead, the commercials have to be filled with footage of me walking through a happy meadow or whatever. So that is one of the real burdens we face is. Congressman, let let me just see if I can get a handle on this. You're not allowed to show footage of yourself doing a job, but Always representatives in the House it. and senators are allowed to points. use insider information to trade stocks. Right. So that's that, why the House that is allowed. The House Committee on Ethics is not oh a committee God. on morality. Let's just be clear. Ethics in this sense are a set of rules that someone put together, often solving one problem at a time, not in a holistic, complete way, not updated to deal with um, kind of modern realities. So, you know, my frustration is I want to earn people's votes because they think I'm fighting for them and they think I'm delivering for them. But I'm not allowed to show them that but what, what 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 would be the reasoning behind that? Has anybody ever uh, asked what that might might what be? What, what what would be the reason of not being allowed to use footage of yourself doing a job? I mean, I can use footage of it on our show for jokes. Yep. Why can't you use it for persuasion? The argument, the the reason we're given is that the Capitol building. And the cameras on us um, are government resources, and we can't use taxpayer resources to get reelected. But even wait, 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 wait—you can't use taxpayer resources to get elected, and yet incumbency in and of itself is probably the largest advantage that you could possibly Correct. have. So I think the the argument that they would make is that yes. if they let us use this footage, it would give us an even bigger incumbency advantage, which I understand. Uh, I actually, you know, I beat an incumbent, so I, I get it. I actually think we have too many people sitting around Washington who have been there too long in to both parties. Right. So I want to see challengers win, not my challenger, but other people's challengers sometimes. <laughs> but I do think there is a kind of problem here, which is that, you know, 
Anybody oh. can shoot a commercial that shows them looking like, I'll do the pose they make you do. This hero oh, shot, like right? That. But that hero shot doesn't put money in your pocket. <laughs> it doesn't make for a fair economy. It doesn't that's get you health care when you need it. That's, um, that's the work that we do in... And so I think part of it is, you know, passing bills, you can talk about that. But it, I think it comes from this idea that, that the footage, that the speaking to the American public isn't part of our work. Our work is just legislation. And I'm here to tell you it's both. Because when you talk to Americans straight about what's at stake, you build support right. for the legislation that we're trying to pass. Well, that so that brings up the, the next point, which is, you know, you went on the floor and you did, I thought, a really effective presentation about the complexity of inflation and the fact that there were profits driving not all of inflation. There's certainly supply chain issues. There's certainly other things that are going on in the pandemic. Uh, but you showed that corporate profit taking was up drastically and that that was a significant driver of inflation. The news covers inflation 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and not without reason. But what I was shocked about is that piece of information that you laid out so effectively made it, I think, to two shows. I think Mehdi Hassan showed it, and I think uh, uh, Lawrence O'Donnell showed it, and, and I think there was an article in Salon. And other than that, it's just the fear-mongering over inflation, and none of the uh, let's look at its component parts. And is that frustrating to you? And why does that happen? Well, it's super frustrating that we're not trying to break down the actual problem to show voters that we understand it. You can't solve a problem very well that you don't understand. So I think part one we have to do is we have to show voters, one, we accept inflation as a problem. Two, Here's where it's coming from. We have access to experts. That was a hearing where I had an expert who had done a research study on inflation. And so my job there was to take his academic study. I used to be an academic, and I know that most academics can't talk to regular people. So I was there to help translate things like non-unit input cost into real English for people. Oh, um, and then, My favorite kind of cost is the non-unit yeah, exactly. input and cost. And show them what he was really talking about. And what his study right. found is that this he compared this inflationary period to past periods mm -hmm. of inflation, which is important. We can't use the same tools of the past if this inflation is right. different than the past inflation, right? And so he Correct. looked, he compared, Correct. and he said this inflationary period, over half of the increase in what you're paying for stuff is coming from corporate profits. And in the mm -hmm. past, that was about 10% of what was going on in inflation. And so the solutions to this inflation are going to have to include some new and different tools than we've used to fight past inflation. Right. The other thing he's... It's, compl it's complex. It's complex. Inflation is always complex. Anyone who says, and this is the Republicans all day long, Daily inflation's star. bad. No shit, Sherlock. Of course inflation's bad. I, too, go to the grocery yeah. store. So that is not a policy statement, by the way. Congresswoman, put that in your commercial. That you're, you're allowed to use this footage. This was not paid for by taxpayers. I want to see you right now, Congresswoman Katie Porter. No shit, Sherlock. Let's get this done. I mean, that's all Republicans have to say, which is inflation is bad. Well, yes. Yeah, Folks, yeah. we we get that. I just bought Fritos for four dollars and ninety nine cents. I spent ten dollars to feed these children yeah. Fritos for crying out loud. 
So yeah. I get it. But the point is, what are you going to do about it? And you can't figure out what you're going to do about it unless you understand it. And the re I think part of the reason that Republicans and others don't want to look at what's really driving this inflation is they don't want to stand up to big corporations. And here's the part of that study that didn't get as much attention, but is really important. Right. The it companies, the areas, the industries where there's the biggest profit margin, the biggest price mm -hmm. gouging being tacked on to what we're paying. You're talking about probably energy and, and, and the our like. Industries Automotive industry. Where there's almost mm -hmm. no competition. So the more consolidated an industry is, the less competition, mm -hmm. the more they're tacking on that profit margin and gouging us. So we have a competition problem in our economy. So that means that we need to break up monopolies. We need to incentivize and waste pathways for smaller businesses and mid-sized businesses to compete. I mean, we have a bread monopoly in this country for crying out loud. We have a cereal monopoly. It's not just gas. It's actually hard to think of an industry where we don't have a monopoly when you really start digging into the data. And the crazy thing is, you know, everybody likes to talk about this idea that we have a free market economy, but we clearly don't. We have an interventionist economy and the government picks winners and losers all the time. And meanwhile, the Fed turns a, a, a money hose on corporate, uh, you know, problems. But as soon as you give stimulus checks to people, everybody starts running around and talking about, oh, this can't happen. You know, Larry Summers, God bless this guy. He's talking about we need 10% unemployment to really get this under control. And, and uh, along the lines of your no shit Sherlock, I would say this. Fuck that. Like in the <laughs> I'm idea. I'm so glad you said that so I didn't that, have to. For God's sakes, the idea that the only way to get inflation under control is to make working people suffer to 10%. And I want to ask you, their only reference point is the 70s. We had stagflation. There were issues. The Fed uh, apparently raised interest rates. They didn't raise it fast enough. Paul Volcker came in and saved the day by plunging us into a, uh, a recession. How in God's name can a complex problem such as inflation only be solved by this one dial we have on the stereo called interest rates? And how is it that you don't go sector to sector? So, so I think part of this is that Congress has, and even the White House, I would say, although this White House is better than some others, and I want to talk about that, but has this tendency, politicians have this tendency to say, oh, the economy? That, that's someone else's problem. That's... That's uh, just the free, you know, the invisible hand of the market. I don't, I don't, I can't do anything about that. Or they say, oh, that's the Fed, not us. Well, here's the thing. I can think of very little that I am in charge of other than people's core constitutional rights, which, by the way, are also under attack. That is more important to what voters ask me to do than to deliver a strong, stable, globally competitive economy. I have never met the voter who didn't want that. Now, I was a bankruptcy attorney before I ran for Congress. So I do just fine in a crappy economy, but everybody else has trouble. So right. the strong, stable, globally competitive and economy is a core mission of our Congress. We need to take that points. under advisement. We need to do something about that. And so I think what a lot of people say is, well, that's the Fed. Well, if you say inflation is only the responsibility of the Fed, then the only tool the Fed really has is the interest rate dial. The other right. tools, like stimulating competition, cracking down on price gouging, building a better supply chain, um, those tools are with Congress. Job. And I want to say, 
President Biden and this Congress have deployed some of those tools. They're not fast. They're not as fast as the interest rate dial. Things like mm -hmm. investing in infrastructure, you have to actually build it. You can't build it in one second. You can, you know, rejuvenate our supply chains and start building um, chips here in the United States. And those things are underway. They're not as fast as the interest rate dial. Um, and, you know, so I think you have to use a, an approach of both. But this is not the 1970s. It's not. And our economy is really different then. And interest rates are just a giant cudgel. And why don't, so m my question would be then, why isn't there more of a concerted effort between government and industry to publicly get together to address what is a national security issue, inflation and, and poverty and, and uh, the, the, our currency is a national security issue. When that goes awry, we lose power and strength. Industry doesn't want to solve this problem. They don't want to solve big, inflation. They would rather see a recession. Big corporations want to wreak every bit of profit. What the hell? What Rep Corey. Happen, man. Err, <laughs> yourself. That's who's benefiting, big corporations. Small businesses are having to hold the line and try to absorb right. this extra cost. It's because all their right. costs are the going. Bigger the company, they don't have a cushion. The bigger the market power, the more they're right. riding this trend. And we've seen this. Don't believe me. Listen to earnings calls in your spare time. Listen to CEOs on earnings calls. They have said yes. things like, if a little bit of inflation is good for us. We think inflation means we can continue to find our price point at a higher and higher place. What does this mean right. for the rest of us who are paying? It means we're stretching our dollars farther and farther and farther. So industry isn't going. They don't want a recession, but they want us. They want to take every dollar of profit right up to the tipping point. And by the way, if we do push into a recession, they will be the first ones in line to Congress with their hands out for help. The very first. But that's ones. my point. How is it that it, they always are allowed to get away with? privatizing profit and socializing losses everybody else pays the price for their losses but in the in the times where they're you know profit taking that's privatized that's shareholders or even the fed turns on that quantitative easing money pump and allows them zero percent interest at the window and lets them do and, and turn it around and buy treasuries you know that they turn around and get a 1.5 percent uh, profit on the whole system is geared to them. And it's interesting. I was talking to one of your colleagues, Rosa Delore, uh, who is the head of the appropriations committee, uh, Congresswoman from Connecticut. And she was discussing how Congress holds the line on, you know, for instance, when they were doing Medicare advantage and they were fighting uh, with the Republicans and there were 600 uh, lobbyists in the building. But I think she was not cognizant of what that sounded like that. Oh, right. 
When you're working, you're not surrounded by those taxpayers that you talk about. You're not surrounded by those families that are struggling. You're surrounded by corporate lobbyists day in and day out, knocking on the door, greasing the skids for more and more profit and more and more consolidation. Well, speaking personally, I don't have any time for those guys. And by the way, they are mostly guys. I, I don't take corporate PAC money. I also don't take lobbyist money. So I tell lobbyists the, the same thing I tell everybody. You want to meet with me? Come with an idea. Come with something to teach me. Come with a problem that you want to show me that you think that you have a solution for, that we can work together on a solution for. So, you know, I live in Orange County. I fly back and forth when I'm in Washington. Um, I do probably my best campaigning in my grocery store. I don't think I've gotten more votes anywhere that I have walk in the aisles of my Albertsons talking to people. Um, So I do think about everyday voters all the time, but there are a lot of forces in Washington that are very, very noisy for the bigs, big health, big pharma, big oil, um, big ag. If you can put a big in front of it, you can also add lobbying to that. And all of those forces make a lot of noise. And we're subsidizing them. Billions of dollars go into the, you know, we we spend billions of dollars to subsidize these oil companies. And then the shit hits the fan. And Saudi Arabia says they're going to cut production. And then all this, you know, and they all talk about, I I saw the bit you did on uh, the, the, land that they have leased that they're not drilling sure. on because they don't want to spend the money to to, to refine because they're worried about when a commodity goes down but it's a manipulated commodity any way in force the gun laws that even i'm not talking about home ownership i'm not talking about any of that it. i'm talking about the iron pipeline why don't we you know the republicans are so concerned about the border well what about the border from florida and indiana that are flooding illegal guns into our cities and making it more dangerous for cops and more dangerous for everybody you want to get to the source of these crimes it ain't democrats it's republicans making it much harder to track illegal gun sales making it much harder to stop illegal gun sales what the hell is going on and how do they take the moral high ground on that? Well, they shouldn't be. Um, they should not be taking the moral You know, Jeopardy Tournament of Champion commercial breaks. It's either for prescription drugs, because I, the elderly, am watching television at that time of night. And uh, Rats. Thanks for tuning in. It's Republican attacks on crime. It is all about, I mean, footage from YouTube of guys with guns shooting people. And the Democratic ads that are in any way answering to either inflation or crime are non-existent. Oh, oh let's yeah. go. Bring it on. Yeah, so- let's. You know, I I just think that Democrats need to really lean into the economy because here's the straight facts. Democrats, every single um, election, every single cycle that we're in power, we set the table and do the work of building a strong economy. In fact, Mr. Assface, Nazi dumb Trump said that Democrats are always better on the economy. and, And Democrats, a handful of Democrats will stand with them and then they take it all back. So think about the things that Democrats have done that are at risk in this election and what they would do to our economy if we lost that. What if we stopped 
all that infrastructure work we've begun. People would be thrown out of work, bridges and roads would crumble, we would fall farther behind our global competitors. And finally tame inflation. Katie, you're brilliant. What if we stopped the Chips and Science Act? What if we stopped well, building it, all those semiconductors? Why is it so hard then to make that case? That would be terrible. We would lose jobs. We would have worse right. supply chain problems. It would threaten our national security. All of that military equipment runs on semiconductors. We have to make them but here. Why is that case not being made? Look, I, this election season, I have a television like everybody else. And if you're following the election in any way in between the, you know, Jeopardy Tournament of Champion commercial breaks, it's either for prescription drugs, because I, the elderly, am watching television at that time of night, and two, it's Republican attacks on crime. It is all about, I mean, footage they from YouTube of guys with guns shooting people. They always say that the blue states and blue people. cities are full of crime. And the Democratic ads that are in any way answering to either inflation or crime. Here's the answer. Wait for it. And they have a case to be made. They're, it's the gun this, lobby. This is something that really bothers me. Republicans talk about crime and the fact that it's out of control mm -hmm. in these cities. And they have never mentioned once that the reason is our cities are flooded with illegal guns. And Republican legislators have made it impossible for police to in any way enforce the gun laws that even exist. And I'm not also talking the about Republicans are bought and paid for by I'm the NRA. The iron pipeline. Over $300 million. Dollars have, you know, Republicans are so concerned about the border. Well, what about the money from laundered Florida from Russia through the NRA flooding illegal guns into our cities and making it more dangerous for cops and more dangerous for everybody? You want to get to the source of these crimes? The Republicans. Democrats. It's Republicans Republicans. making it much harder to track illegal gun sales. They want more guns, the better. Gun they wouldn't even what let us regulate on? machine and how do guns. They take the moral high ground on that? Well, they shouldn't be. Stop voting uh, for Nazis, idiots. For a couple reasons. One, the bills that they are attacking Democrats for passing in the last two years contain significant funding for first responders, for police departments. The resources that we gave to counties and to cities. Mm -hmm. Most police departments saw an increase, a significant increase in their budget in the last couple of years. That was done because Democrats yeah, like they need a lot more money. Bills. We uh, literally have right. been the party of trying to make sure that our law enforcement has the tools that it needs. But you are right; they are battling uphill when we see gun laws being loosened mm -hmm. that allow dangerous criminals to possess guns and to use guns, to carry guns without a permit. You cannot okay. be the party of crime at the same time that you're arming criminals. So the party that is- No, they're allowing it. They're facilitating They're, they're allowing it. these pipelines. They're making it so you can't sue these gun manufacturers. I think there's five manufacturers that are responsible for like half the guns that are used in crimes. And again, I can't stress this enough. This is not about legal gun ownership, but in their zeal to protect legal gun ownership, they've removed the tools of law enforcement to get illegal guns off the streets. There was a case recently, I think they just said that it was unconstitutional for you to penalize somebody for removing serial numbers off of guns. Imagine trying to solve crimes 
and, and a, a political party came in and said, but you can't use fingerprinting and you can't use DNA and none of this uh, camera footage can be used either. That's what they've done with enforcing the flood of guns. There is an arms race in America on the streets. Yeah. And, you know, when you when you talk to police officers and law enforcement, they will tell you that it's getting harder and harder to to prosecute these crimes. It's getting more difficult and it's getting more difficult because of the rise in unchecked and um, unlawful gun sales. So there's no problem with someone going through a process, getting a permit, Going, taking the time, right. getting the background checked. Well, now they're making it that you don't but even need a now they're making process. it that you don't need a permit. So they're literally taking away the very best tools we have to keep our communities right. safe, to keep our police officers safe as they do their right. job. Um, and so, so how do they have the balls to come out and say, we're the ones that are going to stop crime? You're the ones that escalated the violence in our streets. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that we see at the border, too, by the way, is that I think that doesn't get talked mm-hmm. about a lot, is we actually see significant flow of guns from the United States into right. our southern border. So we are actually They supplying. say 70% of the cartel weaponry is from That's the right. United States. So we States. are supplying. We're, we're saying people shouldn't come here. They should stay. You know, we don't want violence, the border. We're, we're arming those cartels that are then committing violence in the Golden Triangle, in Central America, in Mexico. Um, and so... We need, when I talk about border security, I talk about it being in both directions. We don't want to have fentanyl or dangerous weapons um, come to the United States. We also don't want to be sending them down there because we're, we're just deepening um, the border crisis and causing more of a humanitarian crisis. We're not aiding. And what, and the border crisis inside the United States, maybe if the, uh, if we talked about undocumented guns. <laughs> Maybe if we talked about stopping the flow of undocumented guns across the alien border guns. of Georgia, alien. of alien guns that are that are coming across. I mean, they're talking about 50 percent of the guns come from just 10 states. And, and these are illegal. We- I mean, you see it in the streets all the time. And cops have to deal with the fact that everybody's got a gun now and they don't know where it's coming from. So they have to militarize. And this is a cycle that we've gotten this country into, not from bail reform, but from the laxity. There's no ATF commissioner for God knows how long. I mean, it it just shocks me that the narrative is never put out there, that their inability to allow this country to police the flow of illegal guns over our borders is on them. And the other thing I'll point out is, by the way, when we talk about crime, is they're not telling you the whole story. They're telling you the part of the story that that they want to tell, which is that we're actually seeing crime go up. Some kinds of crime are going up. Some kinds of crime right. are going Gun down. Crimes. Um, and so right. it's actually, I think, the, the kind of Republicans leaning into crime is more of a playing on anxiety that people feel after the pandemic. There are areas... There are types of crime that are going up. But it is going. I mean, it is, I think you'd be hard-pressed to convince people. There, there are also areas of crime that are going down. Well, I looked at this in Orange County before I before we had this conversation. I did some looking. So right. we're actually seeing property crimes falling significantly. Um, but we really? have seen an uptick in violent crime. It, it's about balancing it out. Now, obviously, violent crime is, is, the, is the most dangerous, upsetting kind of crime. Um, but right. our police officers... 
you know, they are doing a very, very good job. And I, I think it is, we need to recognize that, that they are working really, really hard to keep us safe. But we've made their lives a we've lot made, more dangerous. We make their I don't lives think there's any more question. dangerous when we allow illegal guns to flourish. We make it harder. We make it more dangerous to be a police officer. That's right. And that is shameful because these people are putting their lives on the line for us. Why do you think that, you know, as far as I can tell, the only issue that Democrats are running on are abortion and not that it's not an incredibly important issue. But I haven't seen one commercial in my area from Democrats that makes those points that says, how dare you talk about uh, crime when you've enabled this terrible scourge to affect our cities? How, how dare you? Yeah, no, I think it's really important that we hold them to account for their position on on guns. Um, and we talk a lot about gun violence prevention um, in Orange County. People, you know, I always say this jokingly, but it's true. I mean, nobody moves to Irvine for the nightlife. Nobody. I mean, you move here for the quality of life. You move here because your kids are safe. You move here because we are a community that cares about right. each other because it is a safe community. And when mm -hmm. our, when neighboring states, places like Arizona or, you know, Nevada or wherever, if the they were, um, change their gun laws, if the federal government doesn't enforce federal gun law, it makes Californians less safe. And I think people need to, to see that that's part of what's at stake in the control of Congress. I think on some of these issues, including abortion, um, and I think guns mm -hmm. can be another one. Um, you know, here in states like California, people say, well, abortion's legal in California. Um, we have good, um, thoughtful gun prevention, gun violence prevention laws here in California. And that gives voters mm -hmm. an excuse to not lean in to what's going on politically around the country. But federal law is supreme. There is nothing that the governor of California or the legislature of California can do mm -hmm. on guns, on abortion, on a whole host of other issues, LGBTQ rights, if we elect mm -hmm. a Congress that passes federal laws that take away those protections. So if Congress passes a nationwide abortion ban, it will be just that, John, nationwide. And it will prevent Californians from having the right to an abortion, for example. Same thing on guns. We have some good, mm -hmm. thoughtful gun violence prevention laws here in California. If we elect a Congress that goes the other direction and enables gun violence, those laws in California will no longer be enforced because of the Supremacy Clause federal law taking precedence over state law. And so... I do think we have an issue in our, in frankly, our quote unquote, I don't like this blue state, red state thing, but let me just say in states that have democratic legislatures or democratic governors, Oregon, Washington, mm -hmm. California, New Jersey, these folks need to wake up and understand that the Republicans are threatening at the federal level to go and undo the will of the voters and the work of the state legislators well, in keeping communities safe. They've been doing it. And if this independent state legislature gets passed through the, the Supreme Court, it's it's going to be even worse. But do you think we also don't talk about enough the idea that because you just said it, not red states, not blue states, but the real divide in the country seems to be between urban areas, exurban areas and rural areas. And to be frank, those areas do have different concerns and sets of uh, reasonable distinctions when it comes to. Uh, crime or gun violence or those different things. Each area has, you know, a different set of circumstances and a larger piece of that isn't about just talking about just the state versus another state. It's city versus rural. It's, it's all the different divides that come together. And how do we make our democracy more agile 
to be able to address things. Like you said earlier on, you said it, uh, I thought, really, really well. First, you've got to decide if you have a problem and you've got to find clarity on that problem. And I think that first step feels like it's so missing from our from our discourse. So I think part of this starts with electing people who actually listen to their communities rather than listen Mm -hmm. to big corporations. Um, And so whether it's rural or urban or suburban, if you're electing people who are listening to their communities and they take those concerns to Washington, you will see policy that reflects that. So, you know, Congress spends an awful lot of time passing bills that give tax subsidies to big oil. An awful lot of time, you know, years and years and years went by before Congress did things that the vast majority of Americans support. Congressional ban on stock trading. Beep, beep, beep. Everybody supports that. Um, some of the work of you course. did on making sure that we were doing right by 9-11 and people who were hurting that. Americans support that. We are very, very sometimes, I think, slow to deliver on things that Americans do agree on because we're too busy fighting about the stuff where they don't agree. Um, and that stuff matters too. But I, I just think the bigger issue is people not um, coming to Washington with a clear sense of who they're working for. Um, and that, boy, let me tell you, if, if you don't come to Washington with a backbone, you sure as hell are not going to find it in the halls of Congress. Nobody's going right. to hand it to you. You have to bring that fight to Capitol Hill. It's been incredible talking to you. I've really enjoyed it. I wish you the best in that race. Congresswoman Katie Porter, thank you so much for joining us. Thank really appreciate you. it. <laughs> She's Boy. got the goods. Just such an effective communicator. And also, for me, having spent a lot of time down there, there's very few people that I meet that haven't bought into the Kool-Aid down there to some extent that haven't totally truly become part of this weird machine that's disassociated from people and whether that's her brand or, you know, putting that on as well, but boy, it's refreshing to hear someone go, these people are fucking in an ivory tower and I'm down here buying $5 bags of Fritos, Fritos. and I want this to stop. The backbone statement, I say this, Andy Cohen, have a real housewives, have a real house people, have a real Congress members of Orange County. Cause that was so clear. It was so yeah. clear. It was so direct. Yeah. When she said the Democrats seem to be the party of a good economy and they're scared to talk about inflation, but she's not scared to talk about it. No one else is saying that. They're scared to talk about everything. They don't. And especially when, you have real information that is not exculpatory. Certainly, if you control the House and the Senate and, and the executive, you're going to be responsible for whatever the economic conditions are. But you can certainly do a better job of explaining why those conditions exist. And it's like when she says it, it seems like, oh, very easy to understand. It's like, mm-hmm. I think we could all be talking like this. Why don't they just call everybody up like fucking why don't you make a show of like sit down with Exxon and 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 all these sort of more monopolistic sectors and say, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you guys just say, like, we're going to cut our profits 10 percent right now because the American people are in pain. And rather than force a recession on them, you know, rather than uh, uh, attack inflation by just making sure no one needs anything and no one can afford to demand anything. We're going to do that across the board for America. Yes, we could call the show, hey, knock it off. (laughs) Well, John, that sounds too much. That sounds too close to right. Like you're making too much sense. 
sense. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. Was there anything else you said that, that caught your eye, that caught your, your fancy, your attention? Your... We can't use the C-SPAN footage in our ads. That is so weird. I mean, imagine you're not allowed to use like the security footage at a 7-Eleven. Like, well, and yet people can use fake footage for their own commercials or footage that's not even in their state. Of crimes happening that are like, oh, this is happening in your town. Or, or have you That's, ever seen those where they're like, it's it's stock footage of like children in Ukraine that they're calling like right. you know, locals <laughs> in California. Yeah, yeah. Like, they can't even feed themselves. Here? It's like that's a war-torn yeah, country halfway right. around the world. Yeah, and yet you can't use your own. It's very When bizarre. she said that, everyone that was listening, including you, was like, that can't be right. She even clarified that. She was like, yes, yeah, the ethics committee, not the moral committee. But even the idea, and, and again, we sort of related it to, and, and but you guys can still trade stocks on information you got. Right, yeah. About, but yeah, no, that that they won't touch. But C-SPAN footage, come on. It, it does kind of make sense then, because I used to wonder, like, why are all these commercials dudes with, like, AR-15s shooting leaflets about <laughs> Obamacare? And you're like, oh, because they can't use themselves at work saying the dumb shit on the floor of the Senate or the Congress, the House. It's upsetting. Alexa, it is upsetting. I want you guys to know <laughs> that the footage that we are using right now, yeah. you can use to run for writer of the year. Oh, my gosh. Writer of the year? This footage is yours. No, no, no. <laughs> Do you understand? John, But my Twitter footprint, as we discussed earlier, I can mm. never run for anything. Ever, ever, ever. Look at the likes. Don't find my bookmarks. Don't look at my retweets. Just for those out there, please don't cancel JJ. When we we talked about the N-word jumping up on Twitter, that was also me. I'm sorry. (laughs) That was me just tweeting out, fuck this nigga about Elon Musk. (laughs) A lot. That's all I was. That's all. He's from Africa. I can say it. Let me say it. Let me get it off. We're going after him. Very nicely done. Oh, yeah. And his fuck Elon Musk. Fuck his dad. His fuck. (laughs) His dad fucked his stepdaughter. He's weird. What? You haven't heard of this? John, Elon Elon Musk's dad had sex with his stepdaughter, had a baby with her, and the response was, yeah, things happen. Well. When you're when you're a billionaire, I think that's that's I believe that's just called a family complication. What? <laughs> when you own en- emerald mines, I think you know. Oh yeah, fuck him for ruining my birthstone. Fuck him. <laughs> mm. Oh, this is this goes way this deeper than I even thought. This is astrological. <laughs> no, Taurus gang, what up? No, I hate it. He really fu- he he fucked his own you know his ste- his own stepdaughter. Now let me ask you this. See a filmmaker? <laughs> I was gonna say. Right, no, no, we're good. <laughs> Sounds familiar. All right, guys. Uh, as always, a pleasure uh, to talk to everybody. I want to thank Congresswoman Katie Porter of California uh, for talking with us. Thanks to Jay Jordan, Alexa Loftus. Check out the problem. It's on Apple TV Plus. You can link to it. Uh, we're back next week. I think on Friday after the election to discuss the election, and we're going to have a not live election special, but a a, a show that we're going to tape after the election to see if we can turn it around quickly 
<laughs> it's really, it's really just a, it's a test. It's just a test. John, have you ever tried to clean up a mess with a paper towel that then is soaked with the liquid from the mess, and you go, "They didn't do this in the commercial." That's what it is. <laughs> You're just like, uh. that's exactly, that's exactly what we're going to try and do. Uh, but great stuff, guys, uh, and we'll see you all next week. Hey, I just noticed that, uh, you know, I'm on Trump's old uh, Twitter feeds, or it's archived, and it only goes up to Christmas. wonder why that is. So thanks for listening in, and I hope you enjoyed that. Bye.